I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to an FDP special. Speciale, speciale. Speciale, speciale. How's it going? Mate, I'm buzzing for this one. Like, genuinely buzzing for this one. Right. If this, if, if this, if he turns up and we run <laughs> a successful podcast episode, I'll be buzzing for this one too and all, mate. I mean, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's going to turn up. I am. <laughs> Very excited for it. Um, I mean, people, if you're watching us on YouTube, you're probably going to recognise this guest. You may have seen him on Soccer Saturday doing some reports. You may have seen him on Sky Sports News doing some presenting. You may have seen him pretty much anywhere. You may have listened to him on the podcast that he has just started as well. But, guys, we have... Rob Jones joining us today. Welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you very much for having me. Our absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. Um, It's been, I mean, you've been kind of one of those guests where we've been absolutely buzzing and looking forward to having someone from Sky Sports News come on. Journalist, reporter, presenter, um, everything that you... you... Prepare to be thoroughly underwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you heard it there first, guys, from the horse's mouth himself. Yeah. Um, no, honestly, mate, honestly, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, if you can, just start with, just yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself for the listeners that who weirdly might not know you. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I'm, I'm one of those sort of lucky people who, um, when I was growing up, sort of knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life, which was, was going to sports journalism. Um, sort of remember going... Um, 
around to my grandparents to stay when I was a kid and they used to have five live on in the evening and it had you know they used to have live games on as they do every midweek and it was people like Alan Green and Mike Kingham and stuff like that back then and I was like this this sounds like magical like they're talking about the football and I sort of imagine I'm there and then I when my parents moved house when I was yeah I don't know what I've been about 11 or 12 eventually after years of me pestering them got Sky and then you'd watch like Sky Sports News and see people like Dave Jones or Kelly Cates. You're like, oh, this is cool. And then the same with things like Soccer Saturday and particularly Jeff, who's an absolute hero of mine. So that was, it was always like growing up, I was always very um, excited or like I wanted to get into that sort of industry. And then through sort of years of, of working my way up and, and um, you know, starting with a couple of football clubs and going into like local telly with BBC and ITV and then then moving up, moving on to, to mainly doing stuff for Sky. Um, here I am, I guess. Happy days. Sounds amazing. Um, and you, correct me if I'm wrong, have you, you did a stint at Liverpool Football Club? Or are you I still, still do doing bit, that as well? still do bits, yeah. yeah. Less than I, I used to. Um, but yeah, still, still do um, bits and bobs for them, yeah. Are you a Liverpool fan? I'm not, no. Oh, I need support. It's a secret. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I like to try and I, I think that the world of media is changing all the time in loads of different ways, really. But there's a there's a real theme these days that, you know, a lot of people and, and people I work with are, are sort of quite happy for, for everyone to know who they support. I think <clears> if you looked on my social media for, for long enough and did a bit of detective work, I think you could probably work it out. But um, it, yeah, I, I think... The great, what I sort of take a bit of a, a compliment from is that of all the abuse I've had on social media over the years, it's like someone will be like, you're really pro Man United, then someone else will be like, you're really anti Man United, then someone else will be, you're anti Newcastle, then I'm anti Arsenal. So I think it sort of shows that I do an okay job of being neutral on the telly. Um, so it's a Premier League club. Um, but enough. yeah, I, I try and sort of keep it. I'm, I'm assuming. One of you is Arsenal. Ben, we, we both are. Yeah, we're both Arsenal both fans. Arsenal. Uh, I've got yeah. uh, I've got my Omri and Burkamp signed shirts on the wall. Uh, it's oh, nice. Because the I'll be honest, my room's a tip in this office at the moment. So <laughs> yeah, hence why I blur it. But yeah, we've um, yeah we, we're getting a bit of a shirt collection going as well, which is quite nice. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah, I mean that's just, it's quite. I've got a lot of that stuff in my house as well. Football stuff, cricket stuff, and I. I think if there's a day comes when I get married, a lot of that stuff will be slung up in the attic quite quickly for sort of, you know, nice pictures uh, of Central no. Park or something. Just just get a little corner in the house. That's what I've done. Just a little <laughs> corner in the house and, got, uh, and they're happy with that. I've got a townhouse. So I've got like two flights of stairs, luckily. So the first flight is like a cricket staircase and there's like oh, a couple nice. of sign shirts and an Adam Gilchrist glove as well. Um, wow. Really cool. That's this one of yeah, like a prized possession now. And that was from when I was a kid. Like, we, my my dad is, uh, he used to work in at Edgbaston, like in security, like over to seeing stewards and stuff. Me and my mates went. I we went one day, and the, and the test match finished. The Ashes Test, where Gilchrist. Don't know if you remember how much you like cricket, but one where he played that like uppercut over the slips, got a hundred. Yeah. And we stood outside the Aussie dressing room, but ages and you could see them through the glass and they're all doing their bits and bobs and my dad was like come on we're going we're going we're, and we just like held on and held on and he just came out with like two gloves 
And one of the poor lads only got a thigh pad, but you know, he didn't like cricket as much as us. And yeah, we'll forever be grateful for it. Oh, I can imagine. God, what a what a feeling that must be. Yeah, it's what cool. And when you're a kid, you know what it's like, you know, when you get like you're talking about having signed stuff, you know what it's like when people sign stuff or you meet people who are heroes. And it's one of those weird things where in this industry you become very immune to to meeting people who are famous athletes sport. and then every once in a while you're like sometimes it's when you don't expect it because you're not expecting to see them and you're like oh my god it's yeah. so and so um absolutely yeah i was gonna ask because uh will and i we've gone to sort of a couple of sort of evenings with with ex-footballers and things like that uh we've met paul merson uh we did a, an evening up in london fantastic speaker what a character obviously I, i'm sure you know him quite well from soccer saturday and stuff as well but I remember I bumped into Arsene Wenger and David Dean outside King's Cross. And it was like a boiling hot summer's day and literally just strolling across the road and saw him. I was like, no, no, it can't be. And don't get me wrong, we're, we're kind of average fans by comparison to like sort of everyone else and, you know, especially yourself, Rob. And just seeing it, as you said, you're, just, you're, you're always just in awe thinking, no, this can't be right. Arsene Wenger, what's he doing at St Pancras? Just standing around. Talking to a police officer, like a police officer taking selfies. I was like, I've got to ask. I've got to be that sort of thirsty person. So, excuse me, Austin, can I have a, can I have a selfie? Getting this cop, like, shoving in my phone, like, please take a picture. It's just <laughs> fanboy. Nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. Every once in a while, you, you, it's got to be done, I think. And, um, yeah, Absolutely, I think, yeah. like I said, that one of the reasons that, um, you know, you go into it is because you, you love sport and, and um, that sort of, doesn't diminish for me like it, you know there, there are still you know obviously times when you're like I'm tired or I don't want to drive to here or this game is appalling but ultimately you love sport and you love meeting people and when you do meet people who are you know particularly I think particularly when they're like your heroes growing up or something then you're like oh this is this is something special yeah is there anyone in particular that's given you that feeling then the, the one that the one that sticks out is is Michael Owen because as a kid, okay. you know, one of my one of my earliest memories of understanding football to a certain extent and like the magnitude of games was the World Cup in '98, and that 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 I think one of the you know the, the strongest feelings of of a single match I've ever had was that, that the Argentina <laughs> game were obviously like yeah. the amazing joy of Owen's goal. Yeah. And then being absolutely distraught when, when Beckham got sent off and, and obviously yeah. England lost on penalties. So I think from that, you know, I think my, Michael Owen would be, would be one. I'm trying to think of anyone else. Talk about. I did, I was, we were pitch, pitch side at um, Edgbaston on the first day of the Ashes this summer. And we did a live in the morning with uh, Kevin Peterson and Ricky Ponting together. Wow. And, Again, like the 2005 Ashes is still one of the greatest sport. I don't know whether you'd call it, it's not a tournament, you know, series or events I've ever Incredible. witnessed. Incredible. Yeah, and I just, I just finished college. It was one of those you had all summer, and I, every morning you would just get up, put it on, watch it for ten hours, because you had nothing else to do. Yeah. And yeah, so standing there with those two for like another Test match and another Ashes series, I was like. This is a joke. Like, this, <laughs> it, 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 like someone, someone in the morning is going to go. What are you doing down there? Like with those two? Like get out. Like, but it's, it is fortunately your job. But yeah, I think there there are a couple that would spring to mind. 
amazing. God, it's that sort of a pinch myself, pinch yourself moment. Yeah, which you have loads of all the time. And like I said, you you know, you need you need the dreary sort of league one nil nils on a Tuesday night every once in a while to, to make you realise like how lucky you are for the, the great games or the great tournaments or events that you go to because it is it's a wonderful job and um you know it's all those crappy cliches about you know if you enjoy it you never work a day in your life and all that sort of stuff so that's yeah, still yeah. how it feels to me most of the time so uh, fair enough I totally understand yeah amazing and so you're really into a cricket aren't you I, I think I've sort of seen a few things that you've you've spoken about and then today you've spoken about cricket quite a lot was did you break the was you on Sky Sports News when it when England won the World Cup I was on in the evening so oh, okay uh, yeah so it was sort of a little bit after they they won it uh, I was on I was on Sky Sports News the day that Stokes played that amazing innings at Headingley, which was ridiculous. Um, and it was funny because you, when, when, when you present as a two, I was on with Joe Wilson that day, who's one of my favourite people to work with, which is an absolute joy. But she's obviously Scottish and we were sort of splitting the live sport. And she was like, oh, you, I got there and I was already sitting down and I was watching the cricket. And she was like, oh, you can do the cricket if you want. I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, we were just like watching it and then we lost a couple of wickets I think just like in our first hour or maybe just before we went on air and I was like well this is this is gone and then Stokes obviously starts teeing off and like the newsroom you can hear like, everyone's like yelling while you're on air and like and we had it was it was obviously August but it's near the start of the football season so like we had a guest on watching like the early Prem game as well and um they weren't watching whatever match it was by the end of it. They were watching Stokes, and we were watching Stokes, and everyone was watching Stokes. So it was, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. And you go home and you're like absolutely wired. Like you can't sleep. You're just like yeah. wide-eyed and just be like, that was, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah, I can well imagine. And and like with things like that, I, I can imagine it's just knowing that you've got like people watching you, and you've got to like kind of keep your cool at the same time as well that must be hard yeah i mean i think one of the things with with, with telly which i think probably i say to a lot of people is you don't really ever think about the people watching you okay um and so you're, you're really in a moment but i think one of the most important things uh, about sports tv and, and maybe tv as a whole actually and i remember a guy i used to work with um ITV very sadly passed away a couple of years ago, like way too young. But I remember having like a, a moment early in my career. Where I was like, oh, this was, I was not great today. And he was like, yeah, but it's only telly. And he, it really stuck with me. It's like, yeah, we're not like, I'm not a nurse on the front line in the NHS doing 12 hours. I'm not, you know, saving people's lives. Like, and, and sport particularly is like that. So I think that whilst you're yeah you are trying to keep your cool and you're not trying to you're not being an absolute super fan and you're obviously not swearing but you're you're mm. like you need to convey the excitement to people that's that's what it's all about really i think like if you're excited i think probably the people who are watching you are excited and if you're not excited by that ben stokes innings or like loads of football games i've ever been at then you're probably <laughs> watching the wrong channel and doing the wrong <laughs> job to be honest <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you just give us a little bit of insight into sort of the way it works at Sky Sports in terms of like the presenting and things? So 
just for for average listeners, viewers, and and probably myself and Will as well. So when you get this sort of breaking news, do you have that in your ear? Do you have to then prepare for it, or is it just like chucked up on the screen in front of you? Like when it is breaking news and stuff, like how do you sort of deal with all of that all at the same time? Because I'm sure there's loads of stuff going on, isn't there? Yeah, there there, there is loads of stuff going on, and it's it's um, look. I think to to do the job really. You know, like I said, you need to love it and you need to, to well, you really ideally should have a good depth of knowledge of certain things. So, you know, now I thought, you know, you watch a lot of football um, and, you know, watch a lot of sport and you really should be versed in certain things to, to a large extent. And some things you're obviously going to know more about than others. But, you know, we were, uh, I was on air just before Christmas and it, it was, you know, you, got, you get in your earpiece, looks like heck and bottom's about to get the sack. We'll do this after the break. You got you got two minutes. We'll do this. Wow. Get up to the big screen. We'll have breaking news in the background behind us. Heck of a lot of this. Um, we're going to run in the goals from um, the weekend. We'll show you the bottom of the table. We'll do this to that. And I think, uh, luckily, I'd done. I think I'd done a, a Sheffield United interview with Heck and Bottom the week before. So I like, I kind of remembered what fixtures they had. But I just checked to have a look on on online. Uh, again, like you're you're across things, so you remember that you know the first goal against Burnley that they lost five 0 they'd scored after twenty seconds. So you'll just, and sometimes when it's breaking, they'll be like, right, this is breaking, we'll do it, and then we'll come back to it. And other times they're just like, right, we're going to sit on this. So like, I'm okay. trying to think. It was a day where I, I was on, not quite when he got sacked, but certainly very soon after Solskjaer got sacked, and they were like, we're going to, you know, we're going to get a couple of the reporters on set, and we're away. Like, off you go. You got half an hour probably. In fact most of the afternoon we're going to be on this because the main United manager just got sacked. So okay. you, need, you need to know stuff. And, and the more you can throw into it, like obviously sometimes, you know, for, for, if say a manager gets sacked, you get the club statement like copied into your, onto your laptop and into your script. And, right. you know, there might be a time where, where you can't really say much more than that. And other times you can embellish and say, well, this is because they lost so-and-so at the weekend. This has happened. They've got loads of injuries. These are next fixtures, blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah. we're just, but that, 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 you know, sometimes, um, you know, you sit with new presenters and they, they ask you <coughs> questions about it, like you just said. And my advice is always like, don't try and be a hero. Like if you don't know loads of stuff, don't sit there and try and like, um, and R and say, oh, I think he's this, or I think they did that. Like, if all you can do is read the statement out and say, we'll bring you more on this later, then do that. Like yeah. you don't have to know everything about everything ever, but it hope it helps if you know <laughs> lots yeah. of stuff about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those, I mean, I've watched Sky Sports, it's literally on every single day. Like my, my other half absolutely despises watching it. It's oh, on good. every morning, every <laughs> evening. She's not a sports fan. She's actually going to have to watch it again. No, luckily she's not on. She's next door. It's okay, Rob. Um, but it, it's one of those, like, I mean, I've, I follow football pretty much my whole life. I'm into various sports. I don't know tons about it. I'm definitely just an average fan sort of thing. But you sort of see these things. And you always, like, Soccer Saturday and things like that. How does it all work? Like, Jeff is just, you know, he was so quick with everything. And I appreciate these things obviously come over time, you know, as you said, you know, through experience and stuff. But... Just always, it's just always quite fascinating how that all comes about. Yeah, and I think like with, with live sport and stuff, we we obviously prep it and have you know various notes. So like, well, I was on last night, 
Uh, it's really distracting, by the way, because Will's camera's frozen, so I've had the same image of Will for like... Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so like, I was on last night, and we had um, two football games, the FIFA Awards, and the NFL, uh, one of the playoff games that have been rearranged. And um, I was on with Jess, and we just said, oh, we'll split it. So, you know, I said, oh, I'll do the Derby game and the FIFA awards, and she wanted to do the AFCON game, and she knows more about NFL than me, so she did NFL, and again, that's like a thing of playing to your strengths if you're on with someone else, like if you're on with someone who knows loads about X, leave them to it. Um, so yeah, like I have a couple of pages of notes on all things Derby Burton, and then it it comes to it, and you just, you know, they'll say, oh, Derby have scored, we're gonna run the goal in, off you go, like so-and-so, this has happened, just gonna show you the half-time shots, just talk over the 20 seconds or whatever and oh. that's sort of how it works perfect oh that sounds fascinating i love all this yeah love it, it. Is, yeah um, and so, you so sorry, you started to oh sorry no, you started to did you start at liverpool fc tv is that where you first sort of made your break uh i don't know if i've ever made my break i think i'm still waiting to make my break um <laughs> <laughs> I start, so I did a master's in sports broadcast journalism, and then I did some stuff on local radio. Um, and then I got a job at, at Leicester, actually. And it was like a proper sort of first thing out of uni thing where you like write for the website, you do some interviews, but you like sort all the media's accreditation out for the weekend. You like allocate the car park. You're literally doing like everything. And you're working like super long days as well. And then I, I, did, I wasn't there so too long. Then I went to Everton where it was a bit more sort of more journalism. Um, then I got uh, a job at, uh, I don't know if you remember, it was a, a local BBC show called Late Kickoff, uh, and it oh, yeah. covered the EFL club, it's sort of regional. So I got the Yorks, the job in Yorkshire to do it, and it was really brilliant, like, it was a really good season, and like, it was Sheffield United, Huddersfield, and Sheffield Wednesday were all going promotion from League One back then. Leeds were an absolute shambles. Uh, Chesterfield got to Wembley for something else. So that was good. Straight after that, they, they gave me uh, a, a contract to do London 2012 as well, which was amazing. Um, and during that period, it, a job came up in the Channel Islands for ITV. And I spoke to a producer at the time and said, look, what do you think about this? And she was like, you should go because this is a great chance to go and get exposure, to go and make loads of mistakes, but to just get on telly whenever you want, really. You can be creative, you can try things, you can work out what doesn't work and what does. And then was there for three years, and it was it was brilliant, really. It got me like yeah, like I said, so much experience. And then, then eventually started started doing like the sports bulletins on Sky News, and then did that for a couple of years and, and worked my way up really to doing um, stuff for Sky Sports News after that. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Ben, I interrupted you a minute ago. <laughs> I was just going to move on to the, the sort of Soccer Saturday stuff. So you touched on it earlier, Rob. So do you get, obviously I'm assuming you get, you know, the games well in advance in terms of what ones you're, you're going to attend. I'm assuming you get all the stats and stuff before the games as well. You get a stats pack. Like, so, I mean, it's up to you as to whether you want to use just what we get sent or you do your own bits and bobs of prep as well, which I I like to do. Like, I'll, I'll try and watch or read the manager's pre-match presser or whatever it's been from from both clubs like look at the last couple of teams they've selected just do a couple of other bits of bobs in terms of research of of my own accord as well as just 
take those stats. I think all of the information goes in a bit better if, if you do it yourself rather than you just be like, oh, here's a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's usually the way I work. I think probably if you've got like 10 different reporters on, they'd all say different things about how they do it. Yeah, of course. And have you ever had a, uh, an infamous cami moment at all? <laughs> well i had one early in the season which i was really annoyed about and it wasn't actually my fault so i was doing um i was doing harrogate against wrexham um because we have to cover every wrexham game now just in case ryan reynolds is there um but yeah, uh, I can imagine. <laughs> fine. that's not quite true that was, um, but, um so anyway the, the, the goal went in and i was and you usually have like in the, in the so in the championship you have a monitor usually with and it's four cameras and you get replays so if you're not quite sure you'll see it back but with league one league two the vast majority of times it's one camera and you don't get replays so ball goes in free kick header guy scores i'm like oh that's i don't even remember who it was anthony o'connor i think it was and then harrogate town like on their tannoy was like oh the goal scorer number six warren burrell goes up on the big screen as well and i was like well the club can't be wrong like Maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe I just didn't see them, but, you know, their own panel is not going to go it wrong. Anyway, it turns out that I was actually right, and I'd sort of given the wrong goal score, and I was really annoyed about it. And it's one of those things I was, like, driving back down the motorway, being like, Jesus, like, should have trusted my own, you know. <laughs> and the worst thing was, it was a really cold night, and this, this is the magic of TV, really cold night, and, and the battery on my camera got so cold that the feed cut, so I wasn't on again after... <laughs> I'd done the goal for 2-2. So I didn't even have the chance to say, look, a bit of a blah, 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 correct myself. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm going back down the motorway, so furious with, furious with Harrigan. <laughs> like, probably as, as close as I've, I've ever come to one of those, I think. So Harrogate's off the list of uh, stadiums to go back to then, yeah? Well, yeah. <laughs> right off the list. No, um, knowing, knowing I've said that, I'll probably be sent there in the next two weeks. But uh, yeah. say, someone's going to be listening and they'll be like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Producer is listening, no, no more Harrogate. <laughs> um, so is there a... What, what would you say is the... Sorry. What was the most memorable uh, match then that you've ever sort of been to? What 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 instantly springs to mind? The Soccer Saturday. But yeah, yeah. Well, anything, anything, anything you've been to, seen live or whatever. Um, there's 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 two that would spring to mind straight away. One was um, Liverpool four Barcelona nil, which mm. was just you know ridiculous. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. I remember pre-match, you, you, and again, it's sort of this is what it means about being like quite passe. But you're like you're doing the pre-match, you're like well, this is all a complete waste of time. Liverpool are three 0 down here, like there's no way they're going to get through. Like it, that was when away goals mattered for something, and obviously there was Messi. Um, so there's all this sort of like, oh well, Liverpool, famous European night at Anfield, blah blah blah, but they're not really going to win, are they? And then after six six minutes, I think it was. Rigi scored and I remember looking at the floor manager and I was like no way they're like they can't do this from here there's no way <laughs> um and obviously in the second half they came back and it was just like so many there's so many great like storylines and subplots of the fact that they did it without Salah and Firmino that night mm. um and obviously Rigi is this ridiculous cult figure who sort of comes out this cryogenic chamber <laughs> you know 
in, in case of emergency, break glass for dinner for eat. on, scores. And then you, you start him the following week against, like, Huddersfield at home, and you wouldn't know whether he was playing or not. And then, like, Merseyside derby, on he comes again. Um, and all, all the while, there was also this amazing subplot, like, this guy, Messi, whenever he picks up the ball, I've never known, like, a whole stadium be like, like, yeah. he picks up the ball on the halfway line, you're like, well, he could easily score from here because he's Lionel Messi, like, so, so there's, like, there's the 4-0, there's the atmosphere, there's, there's like, watching Messi, one of the, the greats, if not the greatest player ever, certainly the best, along with Ronaldo in our lifetime. Mm. All, all those things, that, that was ridiculous. And then the other one, and if you remember it from a couple of seasons ago, um, Bristol Rovers were playing on the final day of the League Two season, and they were fourth. They were, they were level on points with Northampton. Northampton's goal difference was five better than theirs. So if... Was it six, six, five or six better? Anyway, they needed to win, but they needed to win by five more goals than Northampton won by. And Northampton were like, went 2 nil up really early on and won 3-1. But Bristol Rovers ended up winning 7-0. And I was there, and it was absolutely ridiculous. Like... They were playing Scunthorpe, who were the bottom of the football league and were absolutely appalling and had jacked it in for the season. And again, it's like, it was 2-0 at half-time. I was like, and then they scored within about five minutes of the second half kicking off. And I was like, this, is, this could well happen here because Bristol Rovers are like right at it. Scunthorpe have really packed it in and have packed yeah. it in probably quite some months ago. And yeah, 7-0 seven, seven and just unbelievable scenes so they would be two of the ones I, I could think of off the top of my head yeah I vaguely I remember, do remember that, that game yeah you I do, do. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I can imagine what was the scenes like there was the the crowd kind of getting there from the start thinking we've got this or the crowd like like, like you said yeah. with the Liverpool game they're really yeah, no, it, was, it was weird whether they did think it's, what, it's obviously that old school like proper Last day of the season, everyone's not listening to their radios, but checking their phones. And Northampton, I genuinely think Northampton were like two up inside for like 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is a bit of an anti-climax. Yeah. And then I think I think they were playing Barrow. And Barrow scored, so they pulled one back. So, they, But it, the more the second half went on, um, the more you thought this, this could happen, this could happen. And then the seventh goal went in with about five minutes to go. And then they all ran onto the pitch, all the fans. So then, then the manager, uh, Joey Barton, probably the less said about him, the better. But like, <laughs> yeah. he, he's like on the tunnel being like, you need to get off the pitch because if we don't finish this game, obviously we're not going to go up. So like, that to clear the pitch. And then it was the weirdest thing ever of like, this amazing atmosphere where they're like, we're smashing them, scumfort, we're going to go up. For like <clears throat> five minutes plus stoppage time just completely lost their way. And like Scunthorpe had a couple of shots and you were like, surely Scunthorpe aren't going to score. But it was like, they became so nervous because they'd like done it, obviously gone off. I assume like sat in the dressing room thinking about the fact that they'd nearly done it. And then were like so cagey for five minutes. Um, and then obviously they, they, they won. So we go, you go pitch side and you know, you're getting champagne poured all over you whilst you're trying to do interviews and stuff like that. But again, it's one of those where it's amazing to be part of. And you, again, you're absolutely like 
wired and luckily one of my mates lived in bristol so i think we went out for a few drinks afterwards but i was in like very good spirits because again it's something something to be something to be like glad that you've been part of really yeah it's a good night out bristol as well it's a very good night out yeah yeah we 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 went uh we went for the women's ashes there actually in the in the summer and went to and we go to a a game at bristol every year and uh, always afterwards have a very uh very pleasant evening, let's say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could imagine. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, guys. Make sure you're following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter so you don't miss a thing. How could you? Instagram is at Football Drop Podcast. Twitter is at Football Drop Pod. Thanks, Will, for that. Or just search us on Facebook, Football Drop Podcast. So, like, just turn our attention to like English football. Then I'd be interested to sort of hear your thoughts on what's happening there in relation to Sheffield Wednesday and the ownership. Uh, Reading in the ownership, and then you've got the likes of Everton, the situation there in Forest and City. What you know, with the financial fair play sort of stuff and the finances within it, do you think that's something that is a, is a wider problem within football and will start to impact on more clubs? Well, I, th- I think that that Premier League clubs um, have been wary of this latest set of. Accounting and, and therefore the, the two charges that came for, for Everton and Nottingham Forest, I get a sense that Premier League clubs might have thought if we break FFP or profit and sustainability rules, you know, we'll get a bit of a slap on the wrist and a telling off and don't do it again, lads. You know, mm-hmm. and then the fact that they've chucked ten points at Everton this season has made everyone really sit up and think we better sort ourselves out here and yeah. you know toe the line and. and you know, obey the rules. And it's interesting that, you know, you, you mentioned like Reading, Sheffield Wednesday as well, that ultimately uh, I think a lot of these rules are there to stop things mm-hmm. like that happening, to stop cowboys coming into football clubs and ruining them. Um, and we should all really want that. Like, you know, I don't think, well, I don't, and I'm sure you guys who love football are the same. I, I don't want to see another Berry where they go out of existence or another Macclesfield where they go out of existence. So if there, if there are certain rules like that need to be in place, um, then so be it. And I, I sort of half take the argument of like 
Newcastle fans who say we've got, we've got Saudi owners who are the richest in, owners in the world who could spend more money but can't because of the rules. But um, the rules are the rules and everyone knows it. And, um, you know, I think if it's... You know where you are in advance or everyone should know where they are in advance. And, and I know that Ever mm. one of Everton's arguments are, well, the Premier League said to us that the, the, the loan or part of the payments to do with the stadium... They understood that, and then that might have changed now. So I could sort of see a bit of frustration there. But it's like with, with Forest, for example, you do think like, sure, like you've signed too many players. Like I think everyone thought that. <laughs> like, again, I, I get, I get the we, we sold Brennan Johnson a bit later so we could get more money for him on deadline day. But then it's like, did you not think to stop at like thirty? Not, <laughs> don't think you need 43 new players. Um, and, and they, you know, and the Premier League or the Independent Commission might well take Forrest's argument and say, yeah, you, you held on to get more money for Johnson, therefore that's that's a mitigating circumstance. So um, it's it's not nice, is it? And you feel I feel for Everton fans, I feel for for Forrest mm. fans because you know. And, and certainly, like, poor Reading fans, Jesus, that, that just seems like a, a, an appalling situation. And you don't, yeah. you know, you, as a football fan, and you guys know you, you've had bleak, by Arsenal standards, bleak times, but you, could, you yeah. can sort of cop losing, but you don't want to sort of your club to be ruined from above the players and the manager, I guess. No, I mean, we was literally talking about this, I think it was yesterday evening, so we did a, an episode yesterday, and we were sort of talking about, we can't imagine what it must be like, especially, she said, you know, the Reading fans in particular, where they've protested, they know they're going to get fines, and the club's going to get fined and things like that, but they don't care, they're doing it to protect the club in the long run. Yes, it's going to be a little bit of short-term pain from that, but this guy's already had two clubs go insolvent. Yeah, yeah, I think in terms of, of yeah, they, they know they're going to get fines and, and stuff like that. I think, um, you know, I think like the pandemic really maybe taught us, it, it, I think it's, I'm sure it's Bill Shankly quote or something like, you know, football is the most important of the unimportant things in the world. You know, it, it's, it, it really doesn't actually matter, does it? Like, it's not, like, like I was saying earlier, it's not like we're all open heart surgeons. It's, mm. it's a game, but it's something that, you know, for some people, that that ninety minutes you spend every two weeks at your home games is your salvation. It's your escape from maybe financial problems. It's your escape from, you know, maybe mental health issues or things in your life. And and that and just w watching your team and the, the special moments you have, like when you watch your team win, are a bit of relief and a bit mm. of release. And to, to see someone. Who you know? Who looks certainly from the outside? Like I don't know Guy Young, but certainly Reading fans from the outside will say this guy doesn't care about our football club that's existed for 120, 130 years. He's he's running us into the ground, and at the end of it, we'll probably go and walk away. And 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 those yeah. poor Reading fans will be left thinking, what the hell do we do? Or do we start again as I don't know AFC Reading in the Isthmian South League, which is awful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just happened so many times as well. That's the, the, the scary thing about it all. And as you said, you get these 
get these owners that just you know, they just don't care it's a business to them they don't have any idea what the community impact it has on it and as you said you know people's mental health their livelihoods you know these people as uh, i can't remember who it was i think it was michael richard said it on Rest's football the other day of these like the football players can go and get another club you know reasonably mm-hmm. easy most of these players can get another club but the dinner ladies the grounds kick no, the groundsmen things like that that's their life you know it's yeah. normal people as they say it's very difficult to be able to just walk in and go get another job sometimes especially who's been there 20 30 years it's a whole different yeah. ball game 100% i mean I, th- I think that that is definitely true that that yeah people particularly if you're in a very you know skilled specific thing like you are a, a member of the ground staff you know that, that what do you do you know, get a job in a garden center or like try and get a job at a golf club or something like that i, I don't know and and even even with League One players, like obviously we all hear of the, the you know the, the astronomical fees that you know Erling Haaland or Mo Salah or Bukayo Saka gets paid. Like mm. if you miss a month's wages as a League One player, mm. you maybe can't afford to do certain things. We maybe can't fully pay you. You know, one or two grand a week. And I know obviously a lot of people would love to be on one and a half grand a week, but you know it's not like league one players can just say oh don't bother paying us for two months and it'll be fine like they have responsibilities and they have families as well and yeah like to just be sort of so i don't know laissez-faire with the, the lives of so many people just doesn't seem doesn't seem right on a on a human level forget anything to do with like football and points and what division they're in like yeah. that's just humanity of treating people properly mm. yeah i agree uh, I, we can't get you on without talking about the most talked about thing. So you obviously cover lots and lots of different games in different leagues. VAR. <laughs> Love how you smirk. We're taking for at least twenty minutes on VAR. <laughs> oh no, we, we've got thirty-seven, so it's fine. We're well over that. <laughs> what would you what say would you like about VAR? Would you say it's better in like the lower leagues? So, so I mean, like Ben talks about the rest of his football. I think Gary Lineker said uh, that he prefers the football recently. You know, watching Leicester without VAR, he prefers it. Are you in that camp, or are you sort of still where I was a couple of weeks ago? Of no, VAR can be good. I think it's it's, it's needed. They can they can make it right. Or do you think it needs to go? Eight questions in one there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sorry, I got excited. <laughs> fine. Most, most people get there. Even my mum was talking about VAR and getting quite angry. About it, so. um, the first question about like watching games in the EFL where it doesn't exist is that there is something quite refreshing. I, I was doing a game at Millwall um, between Christmas and New Year, and uh, it finished 1 0 to Millwall. Um, and you know, on, on, on the angles I had, it looked as though the goal was offside. And went down, did post-match, said to David Wagner, the, the uh, Norwich manager, looks like the goal might be offside. And he was like, yeah, maybe. And that's it. And and what, what else can he do? And I, and I think, there was, you know, there's something very old school about the fact that you could have a little bit of a moan about a decision. And that was it. And you know, there's the old cliche of, oh, they all even themselves out over the course of a season. Mm-hmm. Um so, for me, the, the big problem with VAR is that you're using it to make subjective decisions. Mm-hmm. So, 
Goal line technology is fine because that is what it is. Offside is is fine because that is what it is. And we can all say, oh, he's, just, he's only a little bit offside. The comparison I always make is to, to no balls in cricket. You may have only just, just overstepped, but you've still overstepped. Yeah. So, whereas a tackle or a handball, um, things of that nature are totally subject. You know, the, the, the one at, I've done two or three sh- or a couple of shows and a podcast since the game between Burnley and Luton on Friday night. I, I, I genuinely think it, if not 50-50, probably 60-40 that 60 would say it is a foul, 40% would say it's, it's not a foul. And, and that's the big problem with VAR is that the way that Michael Oliver interprets a rule might be different to the way that Anthony Taylor interprets a rule to the way that Jared Gillett, to the way that Peter Banks. And therefore, if you're getting one guy does it on field, then another guy decides that off in Stockley Park that he thinks differently. And all this is taking like three minutes. Yeah. To me, I think you just stick with the on-field decision. Like, and, mm. you know, if the referee has turned his back and someone's actually slammed into someone or elbowed them in the face or whatever, fine. Like VAR can say, look, you need to send him off for that. But otherwise, I, I sort of just think we'd all be happier if they just stuck with the on-field, and you would you'd have a little bit of a moan afterwards about um, the decision that's been made. But you know, you'd be over it. Yeah, they're just sort of spreading the blame almost. I feel with it, and the, I feel like the referees on the field. I, I mean, I said I don't know any referees. So I'd love to get a ref on the pod to to kind of get their views as well, but. It just feels as though they potentially can go, I'm not sure, so I'll, I'll wait for someone to correct me. Yeah, and I think that it was it was really interesting. So, obviously, um, you will know that Sky Sports News on the Monday, we have Dermot on, Dermot, and the rest yeah. of and, you know, sometimes I, I present that, that show, and it's really interesting to chat with him. And I think one of the theories he has is that it, it, it does allow referees to sort of hedge their bets and wait to be told something. And... The one I remember from this this season, uh, I don't know if you remember, the Merseyside derby at Anfield, and I was at that game, and Liverpool eventually get a penalty for a handball from Michael Keane. And Michael Keane's arm's like that. It's not one of these nonsense ones where it's like there. His arm is out. Like, everyone knows his arm's out. You think Craig Porson's got to see it, and you sort of think he's... It feels like he's waiting for someone to say... I think that's our ball, Greg, or the ball to go dead, the VAR to check it, and then he goes to the screen, then he changes his mind. And I I, I think he could have made that decision on the field. It, it might be that. I don't know. Craig Porter might tell me that he couldn't see through a player or whatever it might be, but you're right. It it feels a bit like you're you're spreading spreading the or like re-refereeing the game, I think is the phrase, isn't it? That, that yeah. you know, someone in Stockley Park is is overseeing someone else's work and doing a part of it. So would you scrap it for now or would you keep it? Um, I would go somewhere in the middle and say keep it for certain things but but not for others. Um, so I, I don't know where I would draw the line but there's that, there's that classic phrase that everyone uses and they're clear and obvious errors. And I think that the bar for what they 
people consider clear and obvious is is too low. Yeah. Um, we're we're looking and we're checking way too many things. Like like I said, if it's if it's clear and obvious that the referee's turned his back and X players punch someone in the face and he's not seen it, sure, tell him and send him <laughs> off. But but like certain penalties and the other issue with it this this is just turning into a really long rant isn't it which is no just keep going keep going <laughs> <laughs> yeah the other, the other issue is is like freeze frame and stuff and slowing stuff down i agree you yeah. see like tackles and studs go like towards a camera like that yep. whereas you know in real time it's like and it's gone yeah and like slowing and you slow it down and someone inevitably will say to you in a press box over doesn't look great that it's like well no if you slow down any tackle like most of them don't look great and sometimes you're like you're refereeing you're almost calling a different incident because we're doing it so slowly and, and you're like sometimes yeah. i was talking we had um lee hendry on with me on sunday on guys watch news and he'd been doing the, the championship game at coventry so i was given a penalty because the guy sort of cleared the ball but he's followed through with his studs up and sort of caught someone on the leg i'm like you can't just stop your leg in midair, uh, and then so where, where's where's someone's foot supposed to go once you once you've cleared the ball? You, you know what you're supposed to do. So it's stuff like that where I just say just leave it to the ref on field. And if it's something that the referee clearly hasn't seen or is like mind-bogglingly terrible, use the VAR. But we it just I think you're, you're using it too much and you're you're killing parts of the game and you're delaying the game for sometimes four minutes at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you, have, have you had sort of much player feedback at all? Obviously you don't have to mention names of course, but because I know I've sort of caught some glimpses of interviews. I know a lot of the players are just saying, yeah, I sort of celebrate, but I'm not fully celebrating. I'm waiting just so, so you automatically look over to the, to the monitor mm. and stuff or, or the ref or whatever to kind of just say, can I celebrate? It's, did I score? Did I not score? Have you had much feedback sort of from your side and what, what their thoughts are? I think, I think that players, to, to a certain extent, would, would sort of echo what fans say, that they would love to, to hear and know more. And I don't think they get, they feel they get a lot of communication whilst the check is ongoing. And sometimes if the ref could feed a bit more back, they, they would feel a bit more. And I think it's the same with, you know, getting it into the stadium somehow like you do in rugby league or you do in cricket that you can hear say oh we've got to check for lbw we've got to check for you know is it any reason why i can't award the try and people sort of get the process whereas it's this sort of like mythical land of narnia in stockley park where you're like well, what what are they doing or what are they um so i think if the, if the, the communication was clearer for everyone and i think that that to, to, to some extent, that, that Mike Duck show that Howard Webb does is helpful to an extent because it at least answers some of our questions, if not all of them. Um, but, but I think if everyone sort of knew what was going on a bit more, some people would like it a bit more. But I don't think everyone's going to like it, are they? And ultimately, if you're a player and a decision goes against you, you can think the IR's crap. Yeah, naturally, naturally. I mean, you're always going to. I mean, fans. You know, if it goes against you, uh, like the incident with the the Erdegaard handball against uh, Liverpool. Oh, I mean, Jesus. we all know it, it was a handball. <laughs> it should have been a penalty. How they didn't give it, I don't know. But us as well, Arsenal fair, fans, we were lapping it up. Fair play for admitting that. But that, that and that that is the 
that's the, the thing, isn't it? That and it, that Erdegaard thing and the Calvert Lewin red in the FA Cup recently. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. Someone's checked that. Like, what are you looking at? How <laughs> yeah. is that not at all? Like, I, I think I think Dermot did a show on Boxing Day, which I didn't see because I was getting to a game, so I can't remember if, if there was an explanation as to why that might not have been given. But for everything I, I've been told by him, everything I've heard back from from the PGM, where like it's all about the unnatural position of the arm. I mean. What his arm is in an unnatural it's, position. It's out and it's it's on the floor. Yeah, playing, playing basketball, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and, and the same with the Calvert Lewin thing. That like it's now been checked by a VAR and then overturned and rescinded like a week later. And you think, yeah, well, if that's the process, then we're we're in. And that's a, one of the other points that I would say is that people talk about VAR. The problem might well be that the officials aren't good enough like it's not a great set of referees and VARs you know and, and I've mentioned two earlier <clears throat> Michael Oliver and Anthony Taylor who I, I would say are the best two that, that we have but yeah. clearly th- there are some people who maybe are not of, of the calibre to, to be refereeing Premier League games and therefore that's where the errors come in from from it's user error. It's not necessarily a problem with the system. It's a problem with the people operating it. Yeah, you hear a lot of the VAR is actually making referees worse now because they've got they've got that they're reliant on the V on the VAR. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you, you've got that comfort blanket of someone else sort of like checking your work, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so just to take us on to the Premier League then, with with regards to Man City, do you think anyone can catch them or do you think the title is theirs? Um, well, I think after after his first season, I've been sort of incredibly unimaginative and, and tipped City for the title every season since then. And, I mean, only one season have I been proved wrong, to be fair. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll um, I, I think they are incredibly difficult to stop, aren't they? And, you know... Um, you know, the, the sight of Kevin De Bruyne sort of wandering back on wow. and scoring and you yeah. know slinging balls in there, um, and obviously you know the goal freak is not far away from coming back either <laughs> to you know to butcher more defences. Um, so I, you know I think I think they're this is their thing, isn't it? That after Christmas they sort of flex their muscles and say let's. And I don't know whether you guys, as Arsenal fans, always thought last season at some point they're going to surge past us. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. we <laughs> we had a few weeks where obviously we we was it eight points clear I think at one point if I remember rightly, and so. we we did get a little bit excited. Was like maybe maybe we could do it, but we just know February time and April time Arsenal falter every single time. Yeah. Might be a little slip, it might be a complete trip, but it happens every time. So he just both said, until we're lifting that trophy, we're not going to win it. <laughs> we just pretend said, we're not going to win it. You say that, but we did plan to go to the Open Tour bus. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> You've got to put the plans in place. But oh, we, yeah. <laughs> until we actually lift it, I won't, like we both said, we won't believe <laughs> no, that will happen. No, no. no it's, it, it's a funny thing. I think, and I don't know, <laughs> remember watching the, the, the Amazon documentary, that the one team that he really 
whether you'd go as far as to say fears, but certainly respects is is, is Klopp and Liverpool. That yeah. they they yeah. to me feel like as and I love Arsenal. Like Bukayo Saka is one of my favourite players. Declan Rice, great bloke. Um, I feel like Liverpool are the one. If anyone's going to hang in there with them, it's going to be Liverpool. And if they can get through. They got three sort of sticky games where they got uh, Bournemouth away on Sunday, uh, Chelsea at home, which obviously you know looks harder than it probably is these days, and then <laughs> Arsenal away, all without Salah. If they can get through that with seven or nine points, you you think they're right in the mix. Um, yeah. And, and and as much as obviously that City have proved before that they can go on these runs of. 11, 12, 13 wins in a row. So of Liverpool. Ultimately, not this Liverpool, like Liverpool 2.0, as, as Klopp calls them. But, you know, they've got, they've still got some players with that muscle mass, like Alisson, Trent, Virgil van Dijk, Andy Robertson, Salah, that have, that have gone the course before. Mm. And I think that if if Liverpool can't stick with them, they're, they're away and gone again, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Unless, of course, Arsenal managed to sign a top-quality striker, then I think that might just change. <laughs> I don't know if I'm just being optimistic, but I think that does change yeah. Arsenal. Ben doesn't look convinced. Who, who, who do you want? Tony? Uh, yeah, Tony, Osimhen, but I think they're both out. He signed a new contract with, with Napoli, and Tony's committed is definitely this season to, to Brentford, so I just don't know. It's it's a it's a weird thing really because um, the, the game isn't flush with them anymore like proper no. out and out mm. number nines and we were chatting about it the other day at work you know obviously Harland is the best in in the league then you'd probably make an argument that at the moment on form like Ollie Watkins is is number two and then you are looking at people like like Ivan Tony but I, Ivan Tony I think we're all sort of just assuming that he's just going to switch it back on on on. Something forest and and be the Ivan Tony that we watched in the first season and a bit in the Premier League. Like mm. he might not, like he can't be match fit. I know he's been training, so it's different to being banned for other reasons. But mm. you know, he he might not. Be, he might be a bit rusty for like a month. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but 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 it's weird because like City before Haaland arrived. Won the title a couple of years without, you know, without really playing Aguero, without striker, with, with Jesus playing there or playing like Foden in that false position. Mm. You know, Liverpool won the title with Firmino, who wasn't prolific, like an unbelievable player, one of the one of my favourite players to watch because he's one of the smartest footballers you ever see. Yeah. He wasn't prolific, so it's, it, I think it's just it felt to me, and I don't know what you guys would, would say, but like last season everything went in and like the conversion rate for, for people like Saka and Martinelli and Erdegaard was really good and if you yeah. sort of head back down to like a mean level you're not as, as potent and, and I think that feels like the problem I think that showed in the FA Cup game didn't it against Liverpool where the amount of chances we had we just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net yeah and I was, I was at that game and it, it's really interesting because, you know, as I said, I think Saka and Martin Lady came on, didn't he? But he had a bit of an impact yeah. when he came on. Those two guys are top, top players to me. 
But I, I'm, and I'd be super interested to like hear your thoughts on, on the conundrum that is Kai Havertz because he is. Oh, Ben, no, don't look. Don't look. <laughs> because he he makes some really good runs and if you go to Chelsea the press box is a lot lower at Chelsea so you have a different view of the game okay. and I remember I, I did a game there last year and I watched him and I was like he's really smart but he can't finish so you'll see and you guys will see because you watch him every week he gets in some great positions because he's smart but he can't finish so I don't know where his best position is for me, I think he is almost like a shadow striker playing just behind. He kind of reminds me of... <laughs> it sounds really stupid, but I will explain. He's a bit of a crap Giroud. You can hold the ball up. Giroud had great positional play. He was always there, but he can link things up. You never thought of Giroud as, clin um, as a clinical... Uh, sorry, prolific striker. He was clinical at times, and he can score some beautiful goals, like scorpion kick against Crystal Palace. A beautiful one as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're all just nodding, yeah. Nodding. <laughs> um, but I think if we have someone that is just an out-and-out -out striker, that'll get the best out of Havertz. You know, he's playing almost that sort of Shaka role of last season, but he's not that, that player. He's got the presence about him, and he's got that, that grit and determination. He does, as you said, get himself good positions. He does press quite well, I've noticed as well. But yeah, you just can't have him face to face with goal. It just doesn't work. No, and I think that if you if, like, I don't necessarily have a, a big problem with him playing as like a false nine. If you play like a false nine like him, you better be sure that your wide forwards are like, you know, vintage Salah and Mane and score you twenty goals each. Because then you can get away with Havertz scoring eight or ten. But if those two guys are getting you. 12 and he's getting you eight you're not scoring enough goals and that's where you are at the moment that's where you were with the West Ham game in, in the in the league that's where you were with oh, the, the game. is that you're creating stuff and you look good but if you can't finish it I mean not the most groundbreaking analysis in the world but if you, you know if you can't finish your chances then you're probably <laughs> not going to win a Premier League title unfortunately no I agree I mean that West Ham game that you mentioned I've I've never been so annoyed at watching us play for years. I was so yeah. triggered watching it because, we're, I mean, we had so many opportunities to just have a shot. And the only person who was actually doing anything of, of value at that point was Declan Rice. And he was actually having a, a bit of a pop shot, admittedly. But one just grazed over the bar. There's one that went a little bit wide. But we've got no one who wants to shoot first, pass second. All of our players want to pass first and shoot second. And I think yeah. that's the difference. Which I, actually, which I actually think is, is sort of what um, Liverpool have really added like, to their art Arsenal this year is that um, they've got midfielders who love having a shot. Like mm. Dominic Cobbley loves a shot. McAllister can, can shoot from distance. Curtis Jones has a shot. Yeah. Um, and like the old, again, it's just Liverpool 2.0 or whatever. Like the old Liverpool, those, those midfielders were like workers. Like Henderson, Wijnaldum, they ran, they ran and ran and ran, and they were so important to the team. But there's now like a little bit more cuteness and cleverness and, and goal threat from their midfield, which makes them really dangerous. That, you know, if you want to turn it into a you have a shot, we have a shot game against Liverpool, they'll probably beat you. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just always, I can't remember what game it was, a little, uh, just before Christmas, I think it was. It might have even been against us or one after. 
but they just felt like wave after wave of attack and it was just Liverpool. I mean, at one point they had five on one against us with Declan Rice. Yeah. Like how Trent didn't score. I mean, I, I, I felt bad for Trent, for God's sake. Takes a little bobble, doesn't it? And then it's yeah. just that slight, wasn't it? Yeah. I think he, I think he's a victim of the fact that his technique is absolutely outrageous. And he <laughs> actually catches it just so clean. Like if that yeah. had been Nunez, he probably would have, like scuffed it in. But because Trent strikes a ball like so well, he he, he catches it absolutely flush, doesn't he? And, like mm. slams against the bar, and actually that's what does him. And if it had been like a really like bungled finish into the ground, it would probably would have got in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that they've got they've got goals from everywhere and I think that I also think that probably having being in the Europa League might help them is that if they if they want to sort of make seven changes for a, a Europa League game, whereas if you're into the latter stage of the Champions League like they usually are, you can't really afford to do that. Um so it, I, I Klopp's obviously never won the Europa League. The finals in Dublin, it's set up beautifully for Liverpool to win it. But I think if it comes to a point, you know, in, in a semi-final game where there's a huge league game around the corner I'll be really interested to sort of see what, what team he picked if he, if he saw the title there for a, for a second time I'd be super interested to see how he's navigated his way through that yeah me point. too really interesting really good point um, so thoughts on United at the moment <laughs> Um, well, they're not very good, are they? Um, not really. No. Um, <laughs> Don't sit on the fence at all, you know, just say exactly what you feel. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I think you'd, you'd struggle to make an argument for them being good, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're such a funny fish because, like, the second half against Villa on Boxing Day, you're like, well, you're obviously all capable. And, and like we all knew they were all capable. Like Bruno Fernandes, individually great player. Rashford, not been a great season, but really good player. Uh, Garnacho, super talented. Um, but they don't do it regularly. And they sort of they remind me a little bit of something that um, Steven Gerrard said to me when he was the Villa manager. And, and they played a game and they hadn't scored. And I think they hadn't scored the previous games. You know in front of goal, like, what do you need to do? He said, well, we're relying on one of our, you know, difference makers to, to create a bit of magic. And, you know, that was when they had Coutinho there and Buendia. And I remember thinking, that's not really how modern football... You, you, you look at City, and City, we've all seen that goal where it goes from wide into a sort of eight inverted, just on the edge of the box, back out wide, cut across the face of the six-yard box, someone scores at the back post. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not luck. They practice it until they're blue in the face, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> and and the same with Liverpool. Like You'd see this, like, Roberto Firmino would come deep, clip it round the corner, Mane and Salah would, would be there, and the width came from Trent and Andy Robertson. Mm. Uh, so you need... And that's the thing with United, is it's like, where's the patterns of play? Where's And they all seem... It all seems a bit of a hodgepodge of, like... And this is not an original point, but, like... Someone like Anthony, who cuts inside and wants to shoot, doesn't suit a big six foot three centre forward. You know, someone like Hoyland, to, to me, needs, and I mean, most forwards would say they need this, but like old school Beckham and Giggs, like yeah. crossing it. Absolutely. And I think he'd, he'd, he'd score goals. Um, and it, it's just, it's so weird because like they beat Villa 
And I remember saying to someone in the office the next day, you can bet your bottom dollar that they'll stink the place out against Forest in three days' time. And they did. Like, uh, yeah. just, you, just, just so predictable. And, yeah, it, I, I don't... I, I also sort of don't think it's necessarily a massively quick fix. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that Jim Ratcliffe and, is going to come in and wave a magic wand and they're going to be great in two weeks' time or three weeks' time. Like, it, it needs... Uh, again, this is, you know, Gary Neville will, will bang this drum and right. So it needs football structure. Uh, and we did a, a podcast at Sky the other day with, with Steve Bruce. And, and I was saying to him, like, Where, where's the smart signings? Where's those, like, you know, like a Salah or like a Julian Alvarez for City or, you know, who, someone like a Martinelli or, a, or William Saliba? Like, you might not know who they are when they come in, but you damn sure know who they are now. Whereas it's always like, Here's this big famous name like Casemiro, Casemiro or, yeah. <laughs> or Rafa Varane or Angel Di Maria or Ronaldo or whoever else it might be. It's like, okay, well, how does he fit with Scott McTominay and Christian Eriksen? Oh, well, he doesn't really, but he's good. Yeah, but that's not really just how team sport <laughs> yeah. works. And yeah. that that's the thing, isn't it? That And I remember saying this like last year or the season before, two seasons ago when they lost 5-0 to Liverpool at home. It's like they're not, they're not, they're a bit, and it's a bit like Chelsea actually. They're not really a team, they're just a bunch of blokes. And because some of them are good at football, every once in a while, one of them will do something good with the football and therefore win them a game. Mm. But consistently, it, it doesn't work because it doesn't seem like identity is the word. And I know you won't like me saying this, but like Ange Ball, Spurs, you know what they're trying to do with it. Oh, yeah, top quality. Yeah. And I even mean, like, Son's not there, or Basuma's not there, or Papsar's not there, and they're, and they're playing people like Skip, or Werner comes in, or, or Hoiberg comes in at the weekend. You still know what they're trying to do. And that's the fast... And like Man United, I'm like, what, what are you trying to do here? Yeah, and actually, it sort of plays into their... It plays into their hands when they have to do something like they did at Liverpool, where it's like, well, we'll just be really structured here and try and hit them on the break, because Liverpool are better than us, and they got a, a, a decent point at Anfield. Yeah, that's the thing. They do get a result like that, and you think that's actually a good result. But for yeah. the Man United of old, they would be fuming with just a point. But it's I mean, a different generation. It's a different different football club now, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, I think even if you listen to, to people like Roy Keane on, on Super Sunday and stuff, you know, a, a point at Anfield is very rarely regarded as like a, a bad result. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just when, when teams sort of make Man United like prod and probe and try and find a way through I'm not necessarily sure they've got the answers at the moment Mm -hmm. Uh, and to me it would take an absolute miracle for them to get in the top four I I can't I can't see it no it's a wonder if they'll stick with Ten Hag as well especially with if Ratcliffe you know does come in as we think he will and whether he'll stick with him or think actually no I want to to take my own approach and put a point somebody else I don't know who yeah, I think that that's where you sort of need to know how, how Jim Ratcliffe sees it and what sort of manager he he thinks they could get in. But, you know, I, I was really impressed with Ted Hag last year. Like, I thought he handled a lot of the situations really well. Like, I thought he dealt with the Ronaldo thing quite well. Like, I thought, you know, initially he, he dealt with the Sancho thing pretty well. I thought that he obviously got the best out of Rashford. And that's one of the weird things is that they sort of made a big step forward and then this season it looks like they've gone backwards. And I know they've had injuries, but every 
Premier League club have had injuries. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with new owners, you know, we saw it at Chelsea, even, even with someone who was as good as Tuchel, new owners often want their own man and their own ideas. And it's, I, I wonder what Ten Hag would have to achieve between now and May to keep him in a job, whether if he was to get them in the top four and win the FA Cup, then he might keep the job. And if he doesn't, you would worry that they will, will look somewhere else. Yeah. I'm really conscious of your time. Um, I do have one more question, if that's all right. So j- yeah, just yeah, just regarding the like the bottom of the table, really, is obviously you've got the points deduction. Hey, you're, that... you're, not, you're not frozen anymore. Excellent. I'm back. Oh, great. Yeah, Has he been frozen the whole that's time? <laughs> frozen for like 50 minutes, but you're back now. That's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> Strange. Um, you can tell you're so a pro the... at this. You just haven't even yeah. batted an yeah. eye. Yep, just keep going. <laughs> Uh, with the, obviously with the points deduction and, and we don't know what's going to happen with that and Everton's appeal that's coming up etc. So what, what do you think the bottom of the table would look like? Because for me it appears that the bottom three are kind of quite far away I mean Luton maybe not not completely but seem quite far away from sort of Everton, Nottingham Forest and, and the like uh, I think Sheffield United are gone Unfortunately, I, I, yeah. I can't see any way they're going to win enough games. Burnley, to me, that the last two league games, uh, really late penalty they conceded against Villa to lose the game. Yeah, yeah. Goal on, on uh, Friday night at home against one of their rivals, Luton. I really like Vincent Company. When you when we were talking earlier about people who sort of impress you, I remember doing a, a couple of championship games there and you know speaking to him as a manager. And he has an incredible aura about him. Of, someone that okay. I really respect and I really want him to do a good job and it, and, and it might well be that, that Burnley sort of go dice on him and allow them to get relegated and come back up again and, and some of those players who are obviously talented will come again in two seasons time um, my dad is a massive Luton fan so and, and Rob Edwards is one of the nicest blokes ever so I'm yeah. quite biased towards Luton but they they have a couple of things in their favour and that they've gotten a really good habit of scoring late goals, which I think yeah. shows sort of character. And I mean, you guys will know that they gave you a, a great game, didn't they? One of the most yeah. entertaining games I've seen for a long, long time. Yeah. And it's, it's horrible playing there. You know, it's, it's horrible doing ambitious there for soccer Saturday because you're at one end of the ground behind a, like a pillar. So you can't really see everything. But <laughs> <laughs> They're, they are, they're a, a wonderful club, Luton, and, but they, they make it really tough to beat them. Like Those big boys up front, Adebayo and Morris, mm. are a handful. They've got a bit of... Like Ross Barkley's playing out of his skin at the moment. He is, yeah. Um, they've got, I think the goalkeeper is really good. So I, I think if, if it's going to be one of them who will get out of it, it will be Luton. I think Everton will have enough depending on what might happen moving forward. The two I would, would worry about would be Brentford and Palace. Um, okay. Brentford, I, I think a lot depends on Tony, but even without Tony and Burmo's injured for quite a while. Yeah, true. It sort of depends how long Wissa stays at the Africa Cup of Nations. But, it, yeah, I think a lot of it is dependent on how, how Tony looks when he comes back. Um, and Palace just... I don't, there's always a team who sort of just drift into it 
and you're like, oh, well, Palace are fine because they've got Eze and Elise, but they just, <laughs> and I don't know, they're, they're, they're one of those teams who sort of, and I'm, <laughs> I'm conscious of saying this, given that they're playing Arsenal next, so this could be the kiss of death. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they just pick up like a random win from somewhere to get, every time you think, oh, Palace are wobbling, they'll win. Mm. But I, I don't know, like, I, I, I think it's going to be one from Luton, Palace or Brentford to join Burnley and Sheffield United, I would say. Interesting. See, I, I, with Brentford, I just really hope they don't go down. I don't know why. I just, I think it's, I like them as a club, the way they're run. I think it's just one of them, there's, it's just a success story. They've done it all properly. So I just, it's one of those teams you think, yeah, I don't want you to, I don't want you guys to go. It's nice having teams like that in the Prem. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a nice ground. Thomas Frank is a really good guy. Like really mm. interested to speak to him. Him, him coming in and speaking to me the, the day after they got promoted. Actually, like I think he oh, wow. you know, had a couple of dandelion and burdocks the night before, but he was there and he was he was lively and, and good company. And yeah, they they are. I've got a lot of players who I really like. Obviously, Tony being the main one, but. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of underrated like people like Ethan Pinnock, really good player, Rico yeah. Henry, really good player. Um, so I'd, yeah, I would like to, to see them stay up, and I'd like to see Luton stay up, um, which I suppose by default means I wouldn't mind seeing Palace go down. But <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything against Palace, but um, I, I, like if, if Luton stay up, that that is one of the great achievements. Like depending on who who won the league. Unless somehow Villa won the league, if Luton stay up, he's the manager of the season. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to disagree. I completely agree. Uh, it would be an unbelievable achievement. Like, I think when you when you look at like, well, it's really interesting actually. Um, talk when we were talked earlier about Reading and Sheffield Wednesday, and obviously everyone knows the story about Luton, you know, going down mm. right down to the National League and stuff. And I remember speaking to someone at the club. Uh, earlier in the season about transfers and people that they'd looked at who'd gone elsewhere that they were like, well, we could get nowhere near that. And they you know, they say, look, we're not going to go down that route again of potentially like sliding down and having points deducted. And, and you've got to admire that, that amongst the people who are <clears throat> teams that are prepared to push FFP to the limit, and, you know, mm. Luton are like, if we have to go down, we have to go down, but we're not. Uh, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. We're not doing that to our fans. We're not prepared to sort of play roulette with the future of the club. I think that is is to be admired. And and despite the fact they've hardly spent anything, they're giving it a bloody good go. Yeah, and they're riding that wave of this is fun. We like this. Let's keep going. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Which, which ultimately like it goes back to what we're saying. Like right in the start, like football is fun, and like you should be enjoying it. Like you know, and when you're Luton, it was probably, I don't know, three or four years ago, they were at Rochdale away on a Tuesday night, and now they're playing Arsenal and Man United and Liverpool and stuff. So, yeah. yeah giving them a game as well. Yeah, and giving them a, mm. a proper game, yeah. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll probably wrap up there because you're conscious of time. But it's yeah, been an absolute so pleasure, much. and I'm sure uh, you guys at home for listening, uh, I'm sure you've all enjoyed it. Uh, but from both of us, Rob, thank you so much. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Very well. Okay. Hi everybody, thanks for listening to today's episode Please give us five star on your podcast provider Whatever one that may be And help us hashtag drop the pod 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 